0: Let's take your Bibles and turn, if you will, please, to the book of Romans, chapter 16. We are in the home stretch. Now, I did ask the question two weeks ago, how many people thought I would be able to do Romans 16 in one lesson, and there was very low confidence on that. I was a little disappointed, but you will find out that you will not be disappointed. <laughs> uh, actually, looking at Romans 16 a little closer, it's, we're going to be in it for three lessons, not one. So how about that? Um, and you're probably thinking, it's like, what in the world are you going to do with all these names? I mean, what's so big about these names? Well, you'll see when we get through it. But, uh, so let us uh, give our attention now as we read Romans 16. I will read the first 16 verses. Paul writes, "I commend to you Phoebe, our sister, who is a servant of the church in Cenchrea that you may receive her in the Lord in a manner worthy of the saints and a sister in whatever business she has need of. Uh, she has need of you, for indeed she has been a helper of many and of myself also. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their own necks for my life. To whom not only I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles." Likewise, greet the church that is in their house. Greet my beloved Epinetus, who is the firstfruits of Achaia to Christ. Greet Mary, who labored much for us. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my countrymen and fellow prisoners who are of note among the apostles, who also were in Christ before me. Greet Amplius, my beloved in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, and Stachys, my beloved. Greet Apellus, approved in Christ, Greet those who are of the household of Aristobulus. Greet Herodion, my countrymen. Greet those who are of the household of Narcissus, who are in the Lord. Greet Tryphena and Tryphosa, who have labored in the Lord. Greet the beloved Persis, who labored much in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother in mine. Greet syncretus Phlegon, Hermes, Petropas, Hermes, and the brethren who are with them. Greet Philologus and Julia, Nerus and his sister and Olympus, and all the saints who are with them, greet one another with a holy kiss. The churches of Christ greet you. So here we are. We're at the finish line, or nearing the finish line in our slightly over a year study in the book of Romans. And last time we finished Romans 15, that would have been two weeks ago by looking at Paul's desire to visit Rome. Uh, We first saw Paul emphasize his desire to come to Rome. He's always wanted to go there. He had been wanting to visit uh, them for some time now, but he had been hindered up to this point, and that hindrance was this great um, fruit-bearing ministry that he was engaging in in Macedonia and Achaia, so basically Greece. He was in Greece, and he had been there for, if you read the book of Acts, Um, probably anywhere up to three to five years in Corinth and in Ephesus and in that whole entire region there. Uh, And he had been experiencing much fruitful ministry there. So he'd been hindered because of the fruitful ministry. But here he is, he's sensing that his time is done. Of course, he wrote Romans from Corinth. So he's feeling, okay, my time here is almost finished. But before I come to you, I have another task to do, and that is I have this collection I've been gathering. I need to take it to Jerusalem once I do that, then I'll come to you and then hopefully after I come to you, I'll be able to go and travel on my way to Spain. So he had been traveling. This is during his third missionary journey. He'd been collecting this love gift from the Gentile churches to help the persecuted church in Jerusalem. Uh, last time we did look at the persecution that the Jerusalem church faced. Uh, during, you, see, you can look at the book of Acts for that. Uh, but to suffice it to say, the Jerusalem church had fallen on hard times. So this collection amongst these Gentile churches was motivated by the what Paul will say, the spiritual debt that they owe to the church in Jerusalem. In other words, the Gospel came forth out of Jerusalem, and the only reason the Gentiles are partakers of it is because of how it flowered first in Jerusalem and how, Jerus- how Jewish Christian converts had gone out and proclaim the gospel to the Gentile world. So Paul says it's only fitting that the Gentiles having been made partakers of their spiritual things, that then they should relieve their physical needs. of course he says once this task was done, he had hoped to come out to them. And then he ends that section by asking the Romans to pray for him because Paul was going into hostile territory. He was going back to Jerusalem where... If you remember early on in his ministry in the book of Acts, he was kicked out of Jerusalem. He was chased out. He had to escape uh, in order to avoid being killed early on. The Lord had moved him out. He was his chosen vessel to go to the Gentiles. So he asked them to pray for him for his deliverance. And of course, we know how the story goes in the book of Acts. Paul does go to Jerusalem. A riot breaks out. He gets arrested and there's a plot to kill him. And Paul then appeals to Caesar, so then the Roman officials are like, there's nothing we can do, he's got to go to Rome. So he does get to Rome. Unfortunately, he gets there in chains and spends a couple years under house arrest there. But that catches up uh, to speed here as we're now in Romans 16, this final chapter in this great book. Now, at first glance, you read through 16, as we read these first 16 verses, and you think, what's the big deal? This is Paul saying... You know, here's my friend Phoebe and say hello to all these people that I know in Rome. What's the big deal? You know, we should be able to be done with this in about five minutes and we'll have like 30 minutes of fellowship time before the worship service starts. How many of you think you're going to get 30 minutes of fellowship time before the worship service starts? You should know me better than that. But think of it this way. We've all heard of the big names, right? Peter. Paul, James, John, we know these names because they're very prominent in Scripture. But they didn't build the church by themselves. right? It wasn't just them. Of course, the whole, you know, Christ is building His church and the Holy Spirit is using these men to build His church, but it's not just them from a human perspective. It's not just the 12 apostles and Paul that are doing all of the work. Again, you read through the book of Acts and you read all of Paul's letters. Oftentimes he talks about, you know he'll greet them at the opening of the letter. He'll say, from Paul, and usually you see, and Silas and Timothy, or Paul and Barnabas, or Paul and Timothy. You'll see these names at the beginning of letters. Sometimes you'll see these same names at the end of letters. These are people that Paul traveled with, people that helped Paul along his way. And the same is true in the church today. You can recognize pastors and elders and deacons, but there are many, many people who do many, many things behind the scenes in your average local church. And that's what this section here really is for you, for the people who do all the work behind the scenes that oftentimes goes unsung. So as we look here, uh, this is going to break down in three parts. First, we're going to see Paul commend Phoebe in verses 1 and 2. So he begins this lengthy list of greetings, the longest list of any greetings at the end of any of Paul's letters, by commending this woman named Phoebe in verses 1 and 2. He says, I commend to you Phoebe, our sister, who is a servant of the church in Cenchrea, that you may receive her in the Lord in a manner worthy of the saints and assist her in whatever business she has need of you kind of an oddly worded phrase, but anyway. For indeed she has been a helper of many and of myself also. Now this idea of commending someone by letter was a common practice then. It's a common practice now. Paul will talk about in 2 Corinthians how these false apostles that were accusing Paul were saying, well, Paul doesn't have any letters of recommendation. Of course, then in chapter 3 he says, you, Corinthians, you are our letter of recommendation of, of the effectiveness of our apostolic ministry to you here in Corinth. But we even do it today, right? When you're If you're going to school, let's say college, or even graduate school, you need what? You need letters of recommendation to say, hey, this is so-and-so, he or she is a great student, he or she you know is a hard worker whatever you know you need letters of recommendation to get a job you need letters of recommendation to sort of get anywhere in the world to show because people don't aren't just going to necessarily trust you because you're wearing a tie like you know Fred's wearing a wonderful tie today or Jerry's wearing a wonderful tie today too you're not going to get anywhere just because you look good and you're wearing a nice looking tie you have to have some backup here so these are like letters of recommendation paul is commending Phoebe to the Romans. And the reason is because many scholars and commentators believe that the letter of Romans was actually delivered by Phoebe. So if Paul writes this letter, he seals it or whatever they do to the letters in those days, gives it to Phoebe and says, okay, go to Rome, take this letter to the Roman church, and I'm going to give you a letter of recommendation as well. Now, what do we know of Phoebe. Other than what we see here in verses 1 and 2, not a whole lot. Uh, She is a Gentile convert. Uh, Her name is a Greek name, so she is Gentile. She apparently is a servant in this church in Sancreia. If you had a map, Sancreia is a port town that is about six and a half miles east of Corinth on the Aegean Sea there. So she is presumably there in Corinth with Paul as he writes this letter. Now, Paul calls her a sister. Which is just its like saying brother. What he's saying is she is a fellow believer. She is not my sister by blood. She is my sister by faith in the Holy Spirit. She is a fellow believer. And then we come to this very important phrase here. She is a servant of the church in Sincrea. Now, depending on which translation you're using, Phoebe is either... Well, let me see. Are anybody here have a New International Version? NIV? No? Okay, I think New King James and maybe ESV are probably the only two we have here. So you probably all say, see servant there. Uh, the word there is servant in the New King James, the New American Standard, the King James, the Christian Standard Bible, and the English Standard Version all have servant. If you have an NIV or a New Living Translation, it'll say a deacon, If you have the old RSV, it says a deaconess. And this is why this verse is important, because she is either a servant or she is a deacon or deaconess. The word there is diakonos. It's a very common word. Uh, We do get the word deacon from it. But the word does carry a range of meanings. It can mean a servant. It can mean someone who is an attendant, someone who is a minister, a deacon or a waiter. Uh, this word is used in, in reference to many people. Uh, G- Jesus is often t- uh, sometimes even called a diakonos. Now, why is this important? Why am I belaboring this this phrase here? And the reason is because some will use Romans 16.1 to make the argument that women can serve in the ordained office of deacon. Now, I specify ordained office Okay, as opposed to Deacon in a more general sense. Now, scholars and commentators are split on this. As I was looking through commentaries, some say yes, yeah, she's a deacon. Some say no, she's just a servant. And oftentimes, I feel like it, it depends on it, the, it. depends on what your view of the issue regarding women serving in church offices from the beginning. I think a lot of times people will read into it their view already, and that, as opposed to reading their view out of scripture. Now, the word diakonos occurs 31 times in the New Testament. And the breakdown of how it's rendered into English, at least according to the the King James, is 20 times it's translated as the word minister. The word minister. Eight times as the word servant, and three times as the word deacon. So, I think it's a stretch to sort of insert the meaning of deacon as in ordained office here in Romans 16.1. Because of the three times that the authorized version uses the word deacon, it is always in reference to the ordained office of deacon. The three occasions are in Philippians 1.1 1, 1, where Paul is opening his letter to the Philippians. He says, Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, Philippi with the bishops... And the deacons, In other words, with the elders, the overseers, and with the diakonos, the deacons, the church officers. So he is greeting all the saints in Rome along with all the church officers in Rome. And the other two times we see the word translated as deacon is in 1 Timothy 3, in which Paul is sort of describing what the office of deacon is and who is the person who should hold that office. So 1 Timothy 3.8, Likewise, deacons must be reverent, not double tongued, not given to much wine, not greedy for money. And then in verse 12 of 1 Timothy 3, let deacons be the husbands of one wife, ruling their children and their own houses well. So when Paul is telling Timothy that you need to establish elders and deacons in the church, he gives the qualifications for elders and deacons. That's why you see that word translated as deacon in those passages. So I don't think Phoebe is a deacon in the sense of an ordained office, but but, this is not to say that women cannot serve in the church and serve in significant ways. Because here is this dear sister in the faith being commended by no less than the Apostle Paul, the Apostle of the Gentiles. He is commending this woman, Phoebe. She is presumably being entrusted to carry this letter to the Roman church. And then Paul tells the saints in Rome, he says, you need to receive her in the Lord in a manner worthy of the saints. In other words, don't treat her any differently just because she's a woman. Receive her in the same manner as you would receive any of the saints, whether me, Paul, or any of the other apostles. She is to be treated in like manner. Moreover, he tells the Romans to help her with whatever needs she has. Again, because she is a fellow Christian and because she is a worthy saint. And Paul goes on to say that she is also, she has been a helper of many and of myself also. Now that word there, helper, sounds fairly innocuous, right? Helper in the English. But it translates a Greek word called uh, prostatis, which means sort of a a female guardian or a patroness. Uh, Other translations say benefactor. The ESV says a patron. In other words, Phoebe might have been someone who served the church in many ways, in particular through very generous financial support, perhaps funding in part or in whole Paul's ministry while there in Corinth. She is a patron. So Paul then commends this dear woman to the Roman church. He, she is a servant. She is a faithful sister. She is a patron of the church. And, she, and Paul then commends her to the Romans. Receive her as you would receive me. Now it's really coming down now, huh? This is a good rain, right? As long as it's hitting your farms, right? It's probably it may just be a cloud, like, literally over the town of Sutton, right. Oh, that is coming down. It could also be because, like what, beyond these wood panels is the sky. <laughs> right? All right, next, verses three through 15. Paul greets the Romans. So after commending Phoebe to the Romans, Paul begins his greeting to a fair number of saints in Rome. Now, maybe if you're like me and you're kind of an inquisical person, you're like, wait, Paul has never been to Rome. How is he greeting all these people who are in Rome? I thought he's never been there. How does he know all of these people? Well, we don't know for certain in every case, but as we'll see, particularly in the case of Priscilla and Aquila, he did know some of these people. Now, presumably, he knew or at least heard of many of the people that he greets formally in this letter. And despite what we may think of the ancient world, people did travel. They did go from place to place. And if you think about Rome, for all of its perceived and real faults, Rome did ensure the peace. There was this thing called the Pax Romana throughout the empire where there was a general uh, sense of peace and protection that the Roman Government would protect you as you move from one province to another, so they ensured safe travel within the empire. And if you think about it, you know, Rome also had this elaborate network of roads that allowed for ease of travel as well. And then finally, Rome is the capital of the empire, all roads lead to Rome. So there, there, it shouldn't be a surprise that we do find some people that Paul knew in Rome for one reason or the other. It is the capital, in fact. I mean, think about it. I mean, it would be the same thing as saying, you know, you don't have to be from Lincoln to have moved to Lincoln. Many of our people in Sutton have moved to Lincoln for a time, have gotten sick of being in the city, and have moved back to, to Sutton or whatever. But it's not, that, it's not that unusual. It's where all the, all the, all the stuff was. It was a major uh, metropolitan hub there. Now, topping this list of personal greetings are the aforementioned Priscilla and Aquila in verses 3 through 5. So Paul then says, Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers, in Jesus Christ, who risked their own necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles. Likewise, greet the church that is in their house. So we have here Priscilla and Aquila. They're sort of like a Christian power couple. Okay? You know, you, you've, you, we read about them in the book of Acts, and we first introduced to them in Acts chapter 18, uh, verses 1 through 4, where we read there. After these things, Paul departed from Athens and went to Corinth. So again, he's on his missionary journey. He goes from Athens to the town of Corinth, and he found a certain Jew named Aquila, born in Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because. Claudius had commanded all the Jews to depart from Rome. So he came to them. So because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for by occupation they were tent makers. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and persuaded both Jews and Greeks. So Priscilla and Aquila are this Christian power couple who were Jewish. They're Jewish. They came from the area of Pontus. And again, if you look at a map Pontus is sort of like in the northern section of Asia Minor. So think of where Turkey is, it's up in the north. It was a Roman province in northern northern Asia Minor. They were Jews. And they find their way to Corinth when Paul meets them. And they were there because they were in Rome at one point in time, but they were expelled. The Roman Emperor, Claudius, expelled all the Roman or all the Jewish people from the capital. So these Jews were scattered. So Priscilla and Aquila leave Rome and find their way to Corinth where they meet Paul. And it says that they shared an occupation together. They were tent makers. Now, nowadays, the the phrase tent maker is used to describe someone who is in ministry and has a job on the side to support their ministry. So that's what Paul did. Paul made tents to support his ministry in Corinth. So if you have a tent-making ministry, it's Basically, it means that whatever you're working in, they, they can't pay you, so you have to have a side job to support yourself while you do the ministry. But here they are. They're in Corinth. They meet Paul, and they become very vital to Paul's ministry there in Corinth. But now, Paul eventually leaves Corinth, right? Paul, is, he's, he's a rolling stone, right? He's got he's to go from town to town. So he leaves Corinth, and he goes back to Ephesus, And Priscilla and Aquila tag along. This is in Acts 18, verses 18 and 19. But then Paul has to leave Ephesus. (laughs) Again, he's a rolling stone. He he gathers no moss. He's he's on the move. But Priscilla and Aquila stay behind in Ephesus. And that's when they meet a fellow named Apollos. How many people have heard of Apollos? He's somewhat familiar in in the New Testament. Some believe he may have wrote the book of Hebrews. We don't know for certain. But in Acts 18, verses 24 through 26, we see now a certain Jew named Apollos, born in Alexandria, that's in Egypt, an eloquent man and mighty in the Scriptures, came to Ephesus. So here's Apollos. Here's, he's this Jew. He's a very learned Jew. He's excellent in the Scriptures. He is a mighty man in the Scriptures. He's an eloquent man. And we see here in verse 25, this man had been instructed in the way of the Lord. And being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things of the Lord, though he only knew the baptism of John. So he's teaching about Christ, but he's teaching sort of like an incomplete gospel. That's when Priscilla and Aquila, they run into him. So in verse 26 of Acts 18. So he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. When Aquila and Priscilla heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. So here's this mighty man in the Scriptures, Apollos, and he's preaching boldly. And Priscilla and Aquila are like, brother, you are preaching very well, but you're missing a few things. There's a few holes in your theology. Here, let us help you fill those holes. So it wasn't that what Apollos was teaching was wrong. It's just that he was being taught the way of God more accurately. So Priscilla and Aquila were not only helpful to Paul's ministry, but they too were gifted Teachers able to instruct this man named Apollos. And now, Paul also refers to them as fellow workers in Christ Jesus. Now, how cool would it be to say, you know what, yeah, we're good friends with Paul. We labored with him in the ministry. That would be kind of a cool thing to have on your resume, right? You put it on your business card. Hi, I'm Priscilla and Aquila. I am, you know, we worked with Paul <laughs> and we taught Apollos the way of the Lord more accurately. So they labored by his side, but they were also, uh, they were not only just fellow workers, but they also risked their own necks to save Paul's life. So they stood side by side with the Apostle Paul through thick and thin, even being willing to lay down their lives for Paul. And what does Jesus say in John 15, right? No greater love hath a man than he lay down his life for his brothers, right? So they were willing to lay down their lives for his sake. Now, we don't know the specific details of this, but again, if you continue to read in Acts chapter, in in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 19, Paul's in Ephesus as he's ministering there. A riot breaks out, and they want to kill Paul. So perhaps at that point, that was when they helped to save him. But thanks to Priscilla and Aquila, he then passes on the thanks of all the churches of the Gentiles. Now, this speaks volumes of how valuable this power couple were in serving the church and in carrying on the ministry of Paul and the other apostles. And then Paul asked the Romans to greet the church that meets in the home of Priscilla and Ackles. So eventually, apparently, they found their way back to Rome, started a house church, and Paul is saying, greet that church as well. And again, you have to understand, churches in the early days, they didn't have nice buildings like this. They oftentimes met in homes because they didn't have the funds to build buildings like this. And anyway, if they built a building like this in the city of Rome, they probably would have been killed for it. So they met in homes, and Paul says, greet the people that meet in their house church. The rest of this section, from the second half of verse 5 all the way to the end of verse 15, Paul greets various other individuals that are on his heart. Now, we're not going to go through all of these, but just some things to note about these people. The first is this guy named Epinetus, or Epinetus, uh, in verse, uh, the second half of verse 5. He is described as the first fruits of Achaia. Uh, some other translations may say Asia, to Christ. Meaning he was one of the first converts of Paul's ministry in Corinth. In verse 6, we see this person named Mary. And in verse 12, we see Tryphena and Tryphosa, And purses, and all of these people are described as those who labored or labored much for the Lord. And that word labor means to I mean really work hard, like to work hard and toil and break a sweat and to really labor and persevere in working for the Lord. It's always good to recognize those individuals who labor and labor much in the Lord. Then in verse 7, we see Andronicus and Junia and another person named Herodion who are called Paul's countrymen or sumgenes. These would be Paul's fellow Jews. Uh, In the case of Andronicus and Junia, they are also Paul's fellow prisoners, meaning they shared in Paul's trials and tribulations as well as in his ministry. So he's greeting also fellow Jewish laborers in the Gospel. In verse 13, we got this guy named Rufus. It's a cool name, right? (laughs) Sounds like a name you'd give to a dog, maybe. But you've got this guy named Rufus here in verse 13. Now, we don't know this for a fact, but it's very, very, very possible that this Rufus is the same Rufus who is mentioned as the son of Simon of Cyrene. Now, how many people know who Simon of Cyrene is? You, You know it, right? Come on. He carried Jesus' cross. Right, exactly. In Mark 15, verse 21, we read Then they, that is the Roman soldiers, compelled a certain man, Simon, a Cyrenian, the follower of Alexander and Rufus, as he was coming out of the country and passing by to bear his cross. Now that's an odd little comment for Mark to put in his gospel. Who cares? Who this guy's sons are right i mean it's not mentioned in the gospel of matthew it's not mentioned in the gospel of luke so who cares that simon had sons named alexander and rufus except for the fact that many scholars believe that mark's gospel was really peter's gospel as mark was the one who wrote it down from learning it from peter and they both ministered in rome where rufus is here in Rome. He tells people to greet Rufus. So it's very possible this is the Rufus who is the son of Simon of Cyrene. And we could say more about the others on this list, but just note how Paul speaks very affectionately of these people. You know, you know it says, Greet Amplius, my beloved in the Lord. Greet Apelles, approved in Christ. Greet those who are in the household of Aristobulus. All these people, Paul has a very soft heart for these people. In other words, Paul wasn't just some ivory tower theologian who wrote letters and sent them off and never talked to anybody, never rubbed shoulders with anybody. No, Paul was a servant. He, he ministered in the church. He rubbed shoulders with people in the church and these people helped him and he greets them lovingly. He ministered in the lives of real people. And then finally here we have verse 16, greet one another. Paul closes this section with a final call to greet one another. Greet one another with a holy kiss. The churches of Christ greet you. Now, let's get the awkward part out of the way first. <laughs> right? This holy kiss. Paul uses this phrase in, as he closes three other letters. At the end of 1 Corinthians he says, All the brethren greet you, greet one another with a holy kiss. At the end of 2 Corinthians, he says, Greet one another with a holy kiss. At the end of 1 Thessalonians, Greet all the brethren with a holy kiss. Peter also closes his first letter, Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace to you all who are in Christ Jesus. The kiss was, and still is in other parts of the world today, a common form of greeting. Now, we're not talking, you know, like a sloppy, wet, romantic kiss between husband and wife or between boyfriend and girlfriend, but usually probably just a little peck in the cheek like you see Italians do or like you see people in the Middle East do, they, you know, on the cheek, and they're probably not even really touching the cheek, but just this little kiss of affection. Also, the qualification of a holy kiss should safeguard us against anything inappropriate as well. Now the question is am I advocating that we greet one another with a holy kiss as we come in to church in the morning on Sunday mornings. Well let me put it to you this way I wouldn't discourage it but there's nothing wrong with the practice. It's just not a common greeting for us today in America, right? I don't think we'd start kissing one another. We would typically replace it with a hug or a handshake. But the point of the matter is this, we should be encouraged to greet one another in the Lord, in whatever way shows the common affection that we have as brothers and sisters in Christ. And the reason for greeting, however you want to practice it, is the phrase one another. That phrase, one another, all alone in the Greek, is a very important phrase in the New Testament because Christians are called to, in John 13, wash one another's feet, in John 13, 34, to love one another. In Romans twelve ten, to be kindly affectionate to one another. In Romans fifteen seven, to receive one another. Galatians five thirteen, serve one another. Galatians six verse two, bear one another's burdens. Ephesians four two, bear with one another. First Thessalonians four eighteen, comfort one another. I could go on. The one another speaks to our union with Christ and our communion and fellowship with each other in the body of Christ. God, by His providence, has gathered all of us together in this body, in this thing called the church. Now, in a a town like Sutton, we're all here because we all pretty much grown up here. But in other towns, more metropolitan towns, the church is a gathering of people that would most likely not gather together for any other reason. (laughs) other than the fact that they're members of the body of Christ. We are united with Christ, and we are united in a communion and fellowship with one another. And it's not just Emmanuel Reformed Church that is to do this, but the churches of Christ. The churches of Christ greet you. This one another thing is much bigger than our local church here in Sutton, Nebraska. It's even bigger than our denomination, the RCUS. It encompasses all who call upon the name of the Lord as their only hope of salvation. So that means when we greet one another, we are also to greet Lutherans and Baptists, Arminians and Dispensationalists, Charismatics and Pentecostals, maybe even some Roman Catholics who are in the faith despite what the Roman Catholic Church teaches. I've often felt that we in Reformed churches, not just the RCUS, but Reformed churches as a whole, need a broader view of the church. We tend to get a little too insular in our theology, a little too insular in our our peculiar ways of doing things, and we don't want to mingle with anyone who is not Reformed. Now, not to downplay or ignore our Reformed distinctives, I love them, but I feel some take it perverse, pride in our distinctives, and make many mountains out of small little ant hills, and then proceed to die upon those mountains that they have built up. My prayer is that we rejoice in our Reformed faith, but also not forget that the body of Christ is much better. Bigger than the RCUs, it is much bigger than other Reformed churches. It is much bigger than just our distinctive theological perspective on things. Many people will agree to this on principle, but practice in practice will still continue to sort of major on those minor things. So, as we bring this to a close, what's in a greeting? Uh, in some respects, Romans sixteen. You know, a lot of ways, in some ways at least, may be more important than the first 15 chapters. Not in its theological importance, but in its practical importance. Because in these verses we see the importance and prominent role women played in the church in the first century. They were not second-class citizens in the first century church. We see in a lot of cases here, the real people that made up the church of Jesus Christ. These people who served, who labored, who labored much, who helped Paul, who were fellow prisoners with Paul, who helped Paul along his way, who continued to labor in the Lord. And we see here the importance of the whole body of Christ. We have to again have this big picture of the church. It is much bigger than just our little Reformed church here in the country. Well, that's all here we have for this section. Next time, we will look at verses 17 through 20. Paul can't help but continue to give some more practical advice before he closes his letter. Uh, So we will look at verses 17 through 20 next time, Lord willing, on the 12th.